0: going to pray and ask God to help us as we come to his word, that we might listen well and, and learn from him tonight. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, you know what is going on for us tonight. You know what's on our hearts and what's in our minds, and you know the things that we carry as we gather tonight. You know our dreams and our fears. You know our hopes. You know our worries. And so we bring all of them to you and we entrust them to you now. We ask that you might help us to listen as you speak. That you might give us life and peace and rest. Amen. Uh, There's a saying that I heard this week. See what you think of it. Hurry, is the great enemy of spiritual life. If you had to guess what the enemy of spiritual life is, maybe that's not the first thing you would have thought of. You might have thought of false teaching or doubt or immorality or something like that. But according to Dallas Willard, it's hurry that keeps us from God. Uh, this week I was listening to an American pastor named John Mark Comer speak about this topic and he fleshes this out. This is what he says, he says, an even greater threat to the future of the church than secularism and the progressive agenda is honestly just the distraction and the busyness and the materialism of our culture. Our culture says do more, be more, work more, buy more, play more, do it better, do it harder, do it faster, cram more and more into life, accumulate, accomplish, click, swipe, search, post, go, go, go. We're always on tap, checking emails, responding to messages, Processing information, uh, there's uh, an organization, one company estimates that the average person sees 5,000 advertisements every day. So we're faced with choices and choices, more and more choices. Uh, here's another saying I heard, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And so the passage we've just read is vitally important for us because it's about rest. It's about stopping so that you're not too busy or too distracted for worshipping God or for loving others or for nourishing your own soul. I mentioned this morning, I think it's kind of like God's got a, uh, definitely God has a sense of humour about these things. You know, I'm preaching on rest and then last night I set my alarm clock um, at the wrong time for church this morning and um, so I had an extra hour of Rest, an hour less of prep time. But anyway, tonight we're thinking about rest. And some of us might be thinking, well, that sounds good in theory, but what about in real life when I'm juggling all these different responsibilities, maybe work and family responsibilities and study assignments? Uh, are we in, still in holidays or are we back? Depends on your semester kind of thing, doesn't it? But even if they're not piling up, they're going to pile up soon, all those assignments. Yeah. And it can make rest feel impossible. It is hard to rest. In fact, ironically, I think sometimes it actually takes some work to rest. Because it requires not just a change of schedule, but a change of heart. It requires a concerted effort to resist the culture around us, which is saying, do more, be better, try harder, go faster. And so it is hard. And I want to say tonight as well, it's just not something that I'm very good at. I'm just as driven and as restless as any of you. So this is hard, but it's also exciting because Jesus says that we can learn to rest and we can learn that rest is good. There's a challenge for us here though. We don't want to turn this idea of Sabbath rest into some kind of burden, uh, kind of a rule or a law that we have to keep. Because if we turn, if we somehow turn rest into a burden, well, we've missed the point. That's what we're thinking about tonight. How can we rest? How can I find rest in a restless world? And we're looking at Matthew chapter 12, and um, we're kind of going to roughly think about three things as we go through. We're going to, first of all, think about this. at this restlessness in the world, a restless rest is where we're starting off with. And then we're going to see Jesus offer a better rest. And then finally, we're going to think about how we practice rest. That's kind of the, how it goes. So if you have a Bible in front of you, it'd be great to have Matthew chapter 12 uh, open so you can follow along. Uh, as we pick up the story, here we are. We're, we're diving, as Megan said, kind of just into the middle of Matthew's gospel. And as we look around us, we see Jesus and his disciples and they're walking through these fields of grain. So we're in a rural kind of setting. And at first that might seem quite restful. You know, I'm kind of picturing golden sunlight filtering through a light breeze, making the grains all ripple in the wind. And well, it's actually not like that at all if we read the Bible because the disciples are hungry and there's no Maccas and no KFC in sight. And so as they go, they start picking up, you know, the heads of the grain and eating them. I don't really know what that would taste like. I imagine actually a bit dry or something. What do I know? And what do they care? They're hungry, so they eat this stuff. And it would be fine because in the Jewish scriptures, there's actually this law that says it's fine for travelers to pick the grain and eat from the fields as they travel through. It's one of the beautiful little parts of the Old Testament. It would be fine for them to do this. They're not stealing, they're not robbing. It would be fine, except it's the Sabbath and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Sabbath was about stopping. Uh, this is the, the Hebrew word Shabbat and that basically means to stop or to cease or to rest. On the Jewish Sabbath, the Jewish people were commanded to stop work from sunset on Friday through to sunset on Saturday. And this was central to their life. In fact, it was anchored in their creation accounts. And so we find this in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2. And this is what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day, from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. God rested. Perhaps not because he was worn out, but more because he was satisfied the picture you get here is not someone kind of staggering home after a really crappy week and kicking the door open or kicking the cat and kind of you know turning on netflix to binge out and escape from the grind no the picture you get here is more like someone who comes home after completing a major project some great creative work and they come home and they're satisfied and they're like what a great week and so they rest to celebrate what they've done And so God sets the seventh day aside for this purpose. That's what it means when it says he hallowed it or he made it holy. That means to set it aside to be a day of blessing, a day of life-giving, a life-giving day, a day of rest and a day of worship. Not just a day of kind of, not rest as in kind of just sleeping, not rest as in chilling out, watching YouTube videos a day of, of rest and nourishment and worship, a day to delight in the creator and his creation. God builds this rhythm into creation called the Sabbath so that the Jewish people would not get caught up in the pressures and the worries and the excitements and the distractions of work and forget God. And so that's how he puts it in Exodus 20. This is the first time that Moses gives the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. It takes place just after God has set them free from slavery in Egypt where they were under the tyrannical rule of the Pharaoh. What did the Pharaoh make them do? Make bricks. That was very specific. Yes, work by making lots and lots of bricks and then more bricks and more bricks and work and work and work. In slavery, it would have been very hard to stop work. But now they're free, Moses says. And so as he gives them these 10 commandments, the fourth of the commandments is this in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Why? Because in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. See, why are they to rest? Because the God who made the heavens and the earth he rested. You know, maybe some of them were like some of us, high achievers, type A personalities, go, 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 go. And they're, you know, they're thinking, what the heck? You can't be serious, Moses. Or maybe some of them were like some of us, kind of more warriors and maybe think about the practical things, but if I rest, will I have enough money and food? Everything the world's just gonna fall apart if I stop. Moses says, yeah, but but God rested. And the world didn't fall apart. The point he's trying to make is that the world does not hinge on everything that you do. You're not holding it together. You're actually not indispensable. You're you're not quite that important. Even God rested. And by the way, this isn't a criticism of work. This isn't saying that the work you do is not important. Because God worked too and he made you to work. It's just that he also made you to rest. Now, you might have noticed something. We read two passages from the Old Testament before and they were almost identical. Two times Moses gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments. The first time in Exodus, straight after they come out of slavery. The second time is 40 years later when they're standing on the brink of entering into the promised land. He gives them the Ten Commandments again and once again the fourth commandment is observe the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. But as you read through this, notice that this time, you can see there in verse 15, he gives them a completely different reason for keeping it. Instead of reminding them that God rested, now he reminds them that God rescued them. He's saying rest because you're not in Egypt anymore. You're not slaves anymore. You're not forced to work and work and work. You're free. And so there's these two reasons why it's important to rest. Firstly, when they stopped for Sabbath, the Jewish people were acknowledging that the God who made the universe is more than capable of looking after them, of keeping the world turning while they rest. The one who created them will sustain them. He created them to rest. That's the first one. And secondly, that the that the God who sets that God, sorry, that God, it's God who sets you free. That you can't get by working harder or working smarter or by accumulating or accomplishing. You can't acquire freedom. True freedom is a gift. God rescued you for rest. Now one theologian, uh, Walter Brueggemann, he puts it like this. He says that rest is about withdrawal from the anxiety system of Pharaoh. The refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being. This is what rest was for. This is why it was such a big deal for the Jewish people and especially for pious Jews like the Pharisees. They, they took it so seriously, they constructed a whole lot of rules and regulations kind of around the Sabbath rest. To kind of define what counts as working on the Sabbath and what doesn't count as working on the Sabbath. It's kind of like when you go up to the Blue Mountains and you come to a cliff and they've built a fence in front of it so that you don't topple off the edge. Well, the Jews built law after law, fence after fence after fence to keep anyone from going near to the edge of that cliff and falling off and actually working on the Sabbath. But as a result of all those rules and regulations for the faithful Jewish people, Sabbath, which was supposed to be a delight, was more and more of a burden because they always had to worry about keeping all these rules. And so this, this is the background. Whoa, that is a long amount of talking just for verse one. This is the background for what's going on in this story, right? This helps to explain the Pharisees' reactions when they see Jesus' disciples picking and eating the grain even though it wasn't God's commandment that they couldn't eat the grain, it was a breach of the Pharisees' rules and regulations. And so they say to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Notice something there, that their Sabbath rules create unrest instead of rest. So what, what's Jesus going to do? You know, all the faithful Jewish person, do? What's Jesus going to do? He reclaims and reframes the Sabbath. And so, in the, through the rest of this passage, in verses 3 to 14, what we see is that Jesus offers a better rest. And so, this is our second point. Um, so, let's have a look at Jesus' response here. And what we're going to see is basically a four punch combination. I've uh, Talked about YouTube videos before. I've kind of got sucked into watching all these little boxing things, and so now I watch them. I just—I know it's weird. I just get more and more of them. It's like it's like a four-punch combination, right? Yeah, yeah. I know nothing about boxing. I'm just pretending. But anyway, so. Notice, right? The Pharisees have framed their accusation in terms of what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. And so Jesus picks up that language of what is lawful and unlawful. He answers them on their own terms. And he says, oh, you want to talk about what's lawful to do on the Sabbath? Well, let's look at the law then. This law that you're so zealous to protect. He says, let's start by looking, first of all, at David, your great king. Remember back in 1 Samuel 21, they probably didn't call it that. But anyway, remember back when David was on the run from King Saul and his men were starving. Do you remember what they did? They ate the bread that had been made holy and set aside as an offering to God which only the priests could eat. And yet, God's law did not condemn David. Second, Let's look at your priests. Have you noticed, Pharisees, that God's law, this law you're so zealous to protect, actually commands the priests to break the Sabbath? Because every Sabbath they have to offer these sacrifices. And so they break the Sabbath law. Thirdly, O Pharisees, let's look at your prophets. Do you remember what Hosea wrote? In Hosea 6, um, he's writing to, uh, he's speaking to the Israelites and, and they're just so pious and they're keeping all of God's kind of laws about the sacrifices and they're making their sacrifices. And what does God say? He rebukes them for their lack of love. He says, your love for me and for each other is so fickle. It's like the morning dew that's kind of there for a few minutes and just kind of disappears every morning. God says to them, you've missed the point. Your sacrifices are worthless if you do not love because I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You can see that's the verse that Jesus quotes at the Pharisees. I think it's in about verse 7. Is that right? In Matthew 12. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See what Jesus is saying. He's saying to the Pharisees, since you have not shown mercy, then it's you who is doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. One, two, three. Notice that the problem is not that the Pharisees take the Sabbath too seriously. Jesus takes the Sabbath very seriously. It's that they've misunderstood what it's for. All their rules don't lead to rest. They've missed the point. Notice something else. Jesus isn't negating the Sabbath. He's reclaiming it. He's reframing it. And so here's where Jesus gets really controversial. I'm feeling a bit awkward about doing punches for Jesus. You guys aren't going with me here. I've been watching too much boxing or something. In verse 8. This is the, uh, the last one. Jesus says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is how Jesus refers to himself right throughout the Gospels. It's, do you hear the point that he's making then? He's saying there is a rule which leads to rest. And it's not the rule of the Pharisees who promote legalism over mercy. And it's not the rule of Pharaoh back in Egypt who promoted productivity over people. It's not the rule of your boss. It's not the rule of your parents. It's not the rule of your clients. It's not the rule of your own heart that wants to kind of constantly be pleasing people. It's not the rule of modern society that drives you to work more and buy more and accomplish and accumulate and have more and be more until you are burdened and weighed down by all you have those rules don't lead to rest. No, there is a rule that leads to rest. It's the rule of the one who made the heavens and the earth. It's the rule of the one who set the Israelites free from slavery. It's the rule of the one who didn't deny his hungry disciples food, but allowed them to eat because it was the Sabbath, so they could enjoy the provision of their creator. This is the rule that leads to rest. It's the rule of the one who said in, uh, just at the end of chapter 11, immediately leading into this passage, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus isn't promising a life that is easy, or successful or productive he is offering you his rule as your creator as your rescuer as the only one who can give you rest you can find rest under jesus rule and so what does this mean it means bring your whole life to him bringing your schedule to him, bringing your finances to him, bringing your commitments to him, bringing your family life to him and your ambitions to him and the expectations that other people place on you, bringing them all under his rule so that you're no longer ruled by work or ruled by your boss or ruled by other people's approval or ruled by busyness and rush and hurry. You can only find rest under his rule because his rule is life-giving. This is what the Sabbath is ultimately about. It's about a better ruler who gives a better rest. And so we see this in action in verses 9 to 14. It's, it's a beautiful scene. Jesus walks into a Jewish synagogue and he sees a man in there and his hands shriveled up. The muscles have atrophied. You can imagine he's uncomfortable. He's uncomfortable. He's unsightly, he's unemployable, and it's the Sabbath. And there are people there watching to see if Jesus is going to heal this man so that they can accuse him for doing so. And what does Jesus do? He says, Stretch out your hand, which for a man with a withered hand like this would have been impossible except that Jesus has healed him. And notice, he doesn't heal him even though it's the Sabbath. He actually heals him because it is the Sabbath. And this is what Sabbath is all about. Sabbath rest is meant to be life-giving. Notice something important here. Sabbath is not just a challenge to our busyness, It's also a challenge to our individualism for an introvert like me and one or two of you it's very easy to confuse rest with escapism but Sabbath rest isn't just about securing rest for myself Sabbath is also about helping others to rest Sabbath is a break a stop but not just to turn in Is a break and a stop where I can also turn up to God and out to others. And so it includes gathering with others and resting with them. It's got this whole community aspect to it. And actually Moses said something similar in in Deuteronomy chapter 5. You might or might not have noticed. Notice this when he's talking about the Sabbath. He says, observe the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. And then notice what he says. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. He's got this whole community sense to it, and he's speaking to someone with the power to help secure rest for others. And that's what Jesus does. He secures rest for others. His rule leads to rest. So, how do we live this out? What does it actually look like in the modern world to practice a Sabbath rest? Uh, On one hand, as Jesus reclaims and reframes the Sabbath here, he makes it clear that ultimately, rest is found, found not in a particular kind of habit It's not confined to a particular day. Rest is for those who follow Jesus. It's available all through the week. Rest is about enjoying the rule of Jesus and you can do that anywhere, anytime. It's not limited to one day. And yet on the other hand, Sabbath, stopping, ceasing, resting is a gift to help us do that. Because in our hyper individualistic consumeristic world, life is so busy and so distracting. We have so many good things we're trying to fit in. I think it's almost kind of like life is like walking down a, a, sh- uh, a um, aisle in in a supermarket, and we're trying to fill our shopping trolley to the brim. And we're we're enticed into a slavery of cho- of endless choices and chances that sever us. From rhythms and relationships that can anchor us in rest. I'll say that again, it's way too wordy. We're enticed into a slavery of endless choices and chances that sever us from the rhythms and relationships that can help us to rest. We have all these options available to us and we just pick and choose whatever we want. And so our lives actually become more chaotic and more severed, more fragmented from community and other people. And so of course it's harder to form rhythms and habits that lead to rest. Does that make sense? That's something to chew on. The tragedy of modern life is that what looks like freedom denies us rest. Don Mark Comer puts it like this. He says, not all busyness is bad, but there's a kind of busyness which goes straight past your iCal and into your soul. Apparently a bunch of people this morning didn't know what iCal was. and I presume it's just your calendar on your iPhone. There's a kind of busyness which goes straight past your schedule and into your soul. And so perhaps we might want to observe a kind of Sabbath, not because we have to, but because it's wise, not because we're commanded to, but because we want to, because it's going to help us to rest in Jesus and so give us life. So how do we practice rest? At this point it's really important to say there's just freedom there's a lot of freedom in how we do this it's like God carves out a space for us to worship him and to rest with others but he leaves it up to us in lots of ways how we'll fill it in and so I reckon it's fair to say Sabbath today for us will vary from person to person what constitutes rest for an extrovert Is that right? Yeah. Might be a crushing burden for an introvert. And vice versa. What constitutes rest for some person with a young baby that never sleeps through the night is going to look very different from what constitutes rest for someone who's in first year of union. You know, that kind of situation. What constitutes rest for someone who lives on their own is going to look very different for someone who lives in a family of people who don't share their faith in God. So there's freedom in how we rest. And if we try to turn the Sabbath into a list of rules, it becomes a burden that actually undermines rest. But that is not a reason not to rest at all. And so like I said at the beginning, I'm no good at this. And so what do I do? I listen to a sermon And heard someone else tell me how he does it. Um, This guy John Mark Comer is this um, hipster, super hipster cool looking, I wish I was like him, um, American pastor in Portland. It's like the coolest city in the world apparently and um, he's great though and he talked about how he and his family are trying to do this Sabbath rest and he was very careful to say you've got to work out a rhythm that works for you but this is a little bit about what it looks like for him. He's in his mid-30s, got a few kids, he's a pastor which for him like me means that Sunday is a kind of a big work day maybe not a day to rest and so what he does with his family is each week he and his family do rest kind of like the Jewish people from Friday evening through to Saturday evening remember there's freedom in how you do it but they come home and uh, they get out their phones can you believe it and they turn their phones off and they actually put it in a box and hide them away it's like withdrawal symptoms already just talking about it and then they share a family meal together a some sort of a special meal a sense of celebrating together nothing too stressful but a sense of celebration and eating not just eating but connecting with each other and with God and so over dinner so that it's not just a nice kind of meal he's teaching his kids these liturgies and i reckon if you took nothing away from apart from this tonight this might be a way to start moving towards sabbath as a way of remembering that rest is anchored in knowing and being known by God. this is You know that Bible verse, be still and know that I am God? Well, he teaches his kids to say this and to work backwards from the whole thing down. So, be still and know that I am God, they say together. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. remind them that sabbath is more about being being known by god and made by god and loved by god than doing 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 and then on saturday his day is set aside not for chores and not to-do lists and not for answering emails but for rest and worship and he's an introvert so he spends some time by himself, and his wife's an extrovert, so she spends some time catching up with friends. They actually try to do this rhythm every single week. They don't always get it right. Now, like I said at the beginning, this seems hard. The reason it's hard is because it is an act of resistance. Our Walter Brueggemann, the guy I referred to earlier, he explains it like this. He says that Sabbath is an act of resistance and and an alternative. He explains it like this. It's going to be a long quote, so it's on two slides. In our contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not determined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. Such an act of resistance requires enormous intentionality and communal reinforcement amid the barrage of seductive pressures from the insatiable insistences of the market with its intrusion into every part of our life from the family to the national budget. It's a lot to take in just there. It's an act of resistance to our culture, he's saying. But Sabbath is not only resistance, it is alternative. It is a better thing. It is an alternative to the demanding, chattering, pervasive presence of advertising. The alternative on offer is the awareness and practice of the claim that we are situated on the receiving end of the gifts of God. Sabbath is both resistance and alternative. And the only way we will do the hard work of resistance is if we see that the alternative is a better way to live. That's the most important point in this whole talk. Sabbath is both resistance and alternative. The only way we'll do the hard work of resistance is if we see that the alternative is a better way to live. See, why is it so hard to change our schedules? To stop, to pause, to cease, to rest because if we're going to change our schedules, then God's got to change our hearts. And so maybe one of the reasons we don't stop is because we don't dare to stop. Maybe you're someone who just needs to be busy because that makes you feel like you're important to be relentlessly and constantly busy. It makes you feel like your life is worth living and yet don't actually know what you would do if you weren't constantly doing things. Or maybe one reason we don't stop is because we don't want to stop. Because maybe you're just one of those high-achieving Taipei personalities who just thrives on doing and achieving and building and buying things and you just love accomplishing and accumulating. Or maybe we don't stop because we've bought into this modern narrative of consumerism and individualism that we have to do more and be more and buy more. Or maybe we don't stop because we can't say no, because we allow ourselves to be ruled by the expectations of other people, whether it's our boss or our spouse or our parents or our friends, and so we let them determine our schedule. Maybe it's because we're a bit like the Israelites in Egypt who can't say no to our masters. But you know what Jesus says? He says, my yoke is better. My rule will set you free. Come to me and I will give you rest. And the more we listen to him, the more we can dare to and the more we will want to stop, cease, rest. Sabbath is a way of saying, Jesus as Lord. I'll say that again. Sabbath is a way of saying yes to Jesus as Lord and no to yourself, no to your work, no to your boss, no to your family as Lord. Sabbath is a way of saying yes to God's kingdom where it's good to rest and no to our culture which demands relentless activity because only Jesus' rule leads to rest. Our great Jesus, you are the Lord of the Sabbath. And so we come to you for rest. As we stop and as we worship, we know that we can live without accumulating and accomplishing, but we cannot live without loving you or our neighbors. And so tonight we ask you to give us strength to hand over to you our restlessness and embrace your better alternative that we might refocus our lives as we trust in your goodness. That we might come to be our true selves, free from the tyranny of always wanting more as we rest in your better rule. Amen. stand. We're going to respond by singing uh, to the Lord of life, to the Lord of our lives, to our good, good King Jesus. So please sing.